Welcome to the Territorial Fae Podcast, a podcast where boozy fae females discuss bookish adventures. Hey guys, welcome back to the Territorial Fae Podcast. And this is a super special episode with myself, host Kaylee, and uh, Alicia's brother, Robbie. Hello. We're going to be talking about horror because we're the only two cool kids that uh, like horror. No, they they need to get their act together, really. They really start, do. But... Start absorbing some horror in their life. <laughs> well, you'd think Alicia would since she likes so much of her monster smut. And that, you know, it's yeah. monster. You think they would correlate with one but it, another? It, doesn't. But... it really doesn't. <laughs> um, And I just think that, I don't know, it's something you're just born to. Oh, yeah. I don't. So, uh, should I like do maybe like a brief introduction? Yeah, yeah, go for it. Before I get into it. All right. So, I go by Robbie. I go by Robin. Um, I write horror myself, and I've been an avid enjoyer in horror since I was young. Um, I started with Goosebumps, uh, Mm -hmm. (laughs) reading Goosebumps as a kid, and it kind of evolved from there as it does. Um, so I kind of consume all facets of horror. Um, and it's my favorite. It's my favorite genre. And um, I think maybe like a good place to kind of start when talking about horror is like what horror kind of means to us as like, as like a, as what does the genre do for us? And why do we think that horror as a genre is important? So uh, Mm -hmm. would you like to go first? You like me to go? Like, it's up to you. Um, I also think it's important that people have different definitions. Yeah. Um, And there are so many. Many different facets of horror in oh, yeah. the genre. genre definitely is important like gothic horror is my jam <laughs> um but i did want to ask before we start what pronouns i should use uh he him for today okay. yeah cool, cool. thank you for asking i appreciate yeah. it <laughs> mm. you so you go for it was it what it means to you sure um if i had to Now, here's the thing, like you just said, like horror comes in a lot of different forms, but I think one, if I could like describe horror as like a wider genre in one word, I think something that all horror fundamentally has in common is visceral. I think all horror is visceral. And kind of what I mean by that is because even if the horror you are observing doesn't have a lot of meaningful subtext, it's mm-hmm. still a visceral experience because it harkens to kind of like the animal side to our brain almost. I think what makes horror so important is not only the type of stories it can tell, but the visceral effect those stories have on those who yeah. listen to it. Yeah. You can tell a really compelling story with deep subtext themes in other genres. The difference when it comes to horror is the level of is the level of disconnect. Um, horror, the thing is, is like reality as we perceive it can be existentially way more terrifying than any our reality and like the day to day life because we experience. It's I'm trying to verbalize this yeah. way, but uh, there are the horrors in our real world will always be more more hurtful to us, like more 
the horrors exploring horror and certain themes through a fictional lens can help us identify the fears we hold in our real life and explore them in a safe environment but thing is the types of the types of stories you can tell the faucets of human nature you can explore through horror will will always be more visceral in a horror context than it will be through like say you can explore you can have really deep emotional moments in like a romantic comedy and stuff like yeah. that in action movies and stuff yeah but the thing is with horror there's a certain level of this you know, and even if in the goofiest horror, it feels mm -hmm. real in the sense that reality is very chaotic. And yeah. that's that's what kind of separates horror as a genre is that there is no border. Yeah. With with the with other context of like other media, like there's kind of like a guideline you have to kind of follow for those genres to not mm -hmm. break them. Horror is so wide as a genre that it can be comedy, it can be slapstick, it can be deep, it can be a thriller, it can be psychological, it can mm -hmm. just be a series of images that correlate to mean something depending on how you view it. Yeah. But there is no border of like, because, you know, like you can you can have like a romantic comedy but you can't explore like for say the loss of a child in that yeah. that would throw off the whole vibe the entire book yeah yeah it would for throw sure. off the whole thing but with horror even if it's more lighthearted, mm -hmm. like it's still visceral in the sense of yeah it's funny that it, but you know they're still burying a body and you're like you have to kind right. of cope with that you know what I mean yeah uh, that's what, actually, you, what kind that's of something I wrote in my comments um because I was kind of looking at the different styles of horror and I was like, okay, well, I really like this book. It's really dark, but is it horror? So I was kind of trying to Google the genres and what other people thought about that. And um, I read a book and I want it's a thriller and I wondered if it was horror because of how deeply it affected me. Like I stopped reading horror and thriller for two years because it was so horrific and like traumatized me reading it so much that I just couldn't anymore that was all I could take and it was you know a thriller where the Karen Slaughter I have not picked up one other book of hers even though I want to read her Will Trent series um but it was a, a young girl was raped and her mother was murdered and this uh, she was raped so horribly that she could never have children and she was 10 and it was just god awful and yeah. so I, I was like, is this horror? And, you know, that's really, that is really helpful the way you put that, that it can be thrillers or it can be whatever. Yeah. One I was surprised about that is horror. Um, have you ever heard of V.C. Andrews? Vaguely. Flowers in the, the Attic. Name. Uh, Flowers in the Attic was her debut novel. It's a lifetime. People love it. Incestuous children locked in an attic as they're growing into teenagers that kind of thing yeah. and that that apparently is horror but it's more oh, horror because their families are billionaires and they live in a mansion um but that was cool like i i like that it does cross so many boundaries oh absolutely and yeah like we were saying i would definitely describe both of those as being within the horror genre and mm -hmm. the thing is with horror is that like for example like a lot 
something that uh it, like branches off the cinema too because something a lot of people ask about like the film jurassic park is that like it's it's like is it an adventure movie is it supposed to be a family film is it is it a horror film because of amount of the death and this is it a thriller like where does this kind of fit and the answer is all of them um yeah. and i think the best stories are um are combinations of genres Mm -hmm. And the thing with, with Jurassic Park is that, yes, it is a horror story, but it also is an adventure story. It also has strong themes of family and found family and stuff like that. So um, the thing is about horror in particular is that I find that, like, because you can crossbreed any genre you want. Mm -hmm. There's no limitations to that. But I found that the best stories usually have some horror injected into it in some way or another. Yeah. Or has a way of making things again visceral. They they feel more real and therefore you're even and even if it's not gore, like I feel like some a misconception of horror is that Absolutely. All of it is like, oh, it's like a blood roller coaster ride. Death. You just watch it because you want to see blood and guts. And don't mm -hmm. get me wrong, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Now, I'm not like a giant fan of films that are just gore, like the Terrifier series that's very popular now. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think Final Fantasy. Yeah, exactly. Like, um, I know, like, um, don't get me wrong, they definitely have their place. Like, horror is made to break boundaries and explore new yeah. things and and if a, if a film is able to just disturb you by its imagery alone, then that film exceeds in what it wants to do. But me personally, I think the best horror is usually crossbred with other genres and usually has some sort of subtext attached to it. And I, I've actually had two horror stories in mind um, for like talking points. Um, and two authors I very much enjoy. One of them, obviously, I don't think we can have this episode without discussing Stephen King. At uh, some absolutely point. not. It's inevitable. Yeah. Um, but the other author is Neil Gaiman. Um, I, I am familiar. Yeah. And um, the two stories that I had in mind to talk about a little bit to kind of illustrate why I think horror is such an important genre. Um, the first story from Stephen King is Misery. Mm -hmm. um, which is one of my favorite novels from him. And then the Neil Gaiman story um, is actually a story called Coraline, which people uh, might know more from the Claymation film. We do is, love Coraline. In which this is house. a fantastic film, and I would yep. highly recommend it to anybody looking to introduce, you know, younger audiences to kind of like a horror genre. Mm -hmm. um, the thing is, is though, and that's another thing we were talking about earlier, so like how wide a genre or is horror is not, strictly for adults absolutely not like you said goosebumps That's yeah exactly goosebumps. and i think it's actually a really good idea to introduce uh you know younger readers to scarier subjects because the thing is is like i know there's always this fear that people permeate when it comes to the horror genre mm -hmm. i know that there's a lot of scapegoating that happens like because before horror movies like nowadays it's like violent video games but before that it was horror movies before that it was like rock and roll music and comic books and stuff like that um so just to kind of get that discussion out of the way it is not the fault of the art absolutely that not. people do human things if if a certain media or book or movie or song pushes someone over the edge that is and they were already over the edge, you know. What right. I mean? 
Yeah, but I mean, you have, look, you you have freaking ancient Egyptians, you know, killing each other and you oh, have, yeah. look no. at the Bible. Okay. It's a societal, it's a societal I, thing. It's it is. A societal it's, not, thing. it's not because of books. It's not books. And that's, and here's the thing is because horror kind of does the opposite. Because if we were to censor everything, like mm -hmm. horror as a genre and, and visceral content, we wouldn't be able to explore these things outside of a real world context. And by the end, it would be too late at that point. Yeah. You know, we, we're supposed to, the thing is is like characters do not exist to be seen as people and what i mean by that is because a character or a subtext is supposed to be a vessel for us to take something out of it to carry into the real world a character is supposed to embody a or a story is supposed to embody a certain part of reality not only to help us cope with it but to learn and grow a little wiser and be able to recognize things. If we were yeah. to censor certain topics, then what ends up happening is that we become more ignorant to those topics than we already were previously. You know what I mean? Yeah. You Absolutely. cannot blame art for human violence. Human violence is a constant and it will always be a constant. Well, and you can correlate that to teen pregnancy. I mean, you exactly. have... You have teenagers who, especially in the South, get no sex education because, oh, yeah. you know, oh, my God, let's not expose them to that information. To sex. Right. Yeah. So, and so actually was um, looking, was just scrolling online this morning and saw somebody say that as a teacher, they had to take a court of mist and fury away from a seventh grader because it was inappropriate content. And they made the parents come to pick it up. And let me, let me tell you. If my daughter's school called me and said they took a book away from her, I would lose my fucking shit. Oh, yeah. Because she can read whatever she wants to read. We do not censor things in this house. Oh, yeah. And kids don't read really read enough as as it is. Right. You know, and you get a kid that's reading. You're like, well, I don't want them reading that and take it away. God forbid. God forbid. Now, I understand, like, you it's know. It's Harry Potter books. If you, if, if maybe, like, the content of the book is maybe a little too much for a certain age well, group. But the thing is, they're probably not going to be able to read it too well anyway. If it's, like, in that kind of genre, it's a younger They're exposed to more on the internet than they are in books. Yeah, exactly. The thing is, I think a misconception that goes on is that, like, now, I, I do believe that, you know, like, you know, parent censorship, that's an important thing to have, you know what mm -hmm. I mean? You know, you don't want to expose them to too many things at a too early rate, right. but it is something to understand that they're being exposed to a lot more than you probably would realize oh, absolutely. through the internet. I mean, act, yeah. there's tar child targeted horror is actually uh, very popular today, especially yeah. with like these poppy playtimes and, and all these, you know, kind of it's kind of referred to as mascot horror and, you know and they have their merits but the thing is is like wouldn't like you play them <laughs> yeah right um but like you but the thing is is like i think and oh that's just another reason why i want to talk about Coraline is because kids mm -hmm. aren't as dumb as people kind of perceive they are you know what i mean i feel like yeah. there's this there's this mindset we have to protect them from everything and that we can't discuss certain topics with them. And we only, we can only discuss certain catered topics to children or like, we can't, we can't talk about the real world. And I'm like, the thing is, is that I, you kind of should maybe mm -hmm. obviously filter some of it, 
Of but course. the thing is about like what you were saying before about education is that it sucks and that mm -hmm. they don't really discuss those things either. So the kid kind of learns vicariously through the actions of other people and through what they find on the internet. You know what I mean? Right. I know a lot of like you were talking about like sexuality before. I know like a lot of young, you know, young people learn about, you know, sexually the first time through like pornography, which right. is completely an unrealistic oh metric, absolutely even remotely close to the real thing but yes. that's that's the only thing they kind of have to go off of because no one wants to talk about it's right. like oh i'll talk about it when they're like 17 i'm like that's way too late homie it's way too late past that <laughs> point you know what i mean i learned through books i actually learned through the vc andrews horror uh flowers in the attic type books um about sex education and my mom Yes, I was raised in the South and the Deep South, Battle Belt. But my mom was very, if you have questions, come to me and we'll discuss this from this book. Yeah. And absolutely. but it was so special because those were her books. And I had reached an age where she said, You can pick a book from my bookshelf because I think these are appropriate for you at this point. Oh yeah. And I I think that's so important. And I I think like Coraline, I think that's such a gateway into horror because I oh, come yeah. from a long line of horror lovers. My my oh, mom yeah. and Stephen King. Yeah, thing. So, so, I think I'll I think I'll start talking a little bit about Coraline. Um, <laughs> the thing is about here's why I think Coraline, like even more than Goosebumps, is the perfect introduction to horror for a child, because there's varying different kinds of horror, and Coraline is only a, is eleven years old when this mm -hmm. story story happens which is when you know most young readers kind of start to really get into reading um here's the thing about Coraline and what I take away from Coraline as a story and I think the main thing um that Coraline teaches us and here's the thing um what I was saying before another reason why I love Coraline is because it doesn't talk down to its child audience it explores themes that are not only prevalent for kids but if an adult were to read it they can take things from it as well good child media should be entertaining for adults as well and I don't like cartoons or books that are purposely kind of dumbed down mm -hmm. for young readers of this age range I, I just don't think it's a good way to um you know teach kids things but the the main theme of Coraline to me is the is the dissonance between childhood and adulthood and how and how like we live together like it's and it's also it's about parenthood it's about the dissonance between your child and yourself and how you're able to best prepare that child for the world without that child understanding the world too much because to a child the world isn't the world the parent is their world absolutely and and that and that presents a very you know very difference in how we view things as an adult we have we've come to known reality and the thing is, is that we are connected as an adult. We are connected to reality on a wider spectrum. We've we've lived life. We experience loss. We do all these things. To a child, um, especially Coraline, her reality exists solely in really in her relationships and her home life, like mm -hmm. the relationship she has with her friends and the relationship she has with her parents. So, having said this, where do we find Coraline at the beginning of her story? 
Well, she just got done with a really big move. They just moved into a new house. She's had to move away from all of her friends and all the relationships she's known. Her parents, well, uh, her parents are tired. They are overworked. They just got done with a move. Her mom was just in a big motor vehicle accident, so she's in a lot of pain. And her and her father are both writing this catalog, and they're not going to be able to get money to fill up this brand new house with groceries and everything they need. Um, so the parents are under an incredible amount of stress. And as an adult, we're able to recognize why Caroline's parents are behaving the way they are. They're not abusive in any metric. They're just very human right now. They're very raw. They've been through, they've just gone through everything I said. So they're, they're cranky. They're tired. They, they, they're low on money. So they can't really buy the things Caroline want. They can't really play with Caroline like the way she wants to because they're on a strict deadline. Caroline being 11 years old cannot recognize the causality of her parents behavior she mm -hmm. can only recognize that my parents are being mean to me they're not giving me attention they're not buying me the things i want and i just got moved away from my friends i live in this creepy old house uh the the sink has bugs in it the the, the roof is falling apart you know what i mean i can't go outside and play in the mud because my mom doesn't want to clean up the mess you know what i mean and yeah. that's a reasonable thing if you're if you're if her mom has a neck injury, she's overworked, she's tired, she doesn't want to clean up all the money boot prints that Caroline's going to bring in. And that's a reasonable thing as an adult, but for all but for all Caroline sees is neglect and right. loneliness. She doesn't and the one kid that she lives next door to is a total weirdo. You know <laughs> what I mean? Um then the thing is, it's like, obviously, Caroline's parents should try to conduct themselves a little better, but they are human. And, yeah. and you know, it's and 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 you can see them like the switch in them when like they finish everything and they got all this big stuff out of their plate. You know, they're like, we're going to celebrate with the big dinner. We're going to do this. And you can see by all the family photos that they go to zoos and they do this. And Caroline has such fun memories, but Caroline can only focus on. On, you know, all the fun stuff they used to do. She doesn't understand mm -hmm. why they can't do those things now. Right. And that's where the other mother comes in to manipulate Coraline. So what does the other mother represent? The other mother is one of my favorite horror monsters because she's not based on... She's based on a newer concept that what... Because a lot of monsters and stories are rooted in mythology and folklore which again, I love because I've studied mythology for a few yeah. years now. But Coraline's mom is based on parental perfectionism. Um, so if we can remember back in a little bit of America's past, and this wasn't as long ago as people like to think, yep. but there was a very real time in America, uh, kind of like after the war, everyone had a little extra money. Um, while men were encouraged to invent and create and find careers, women were there they were literally everything was designed to convince women that the most fulfilling part of their lives the own the big that they had the most important job that the most fulfilling part of their lives was to be uh to live Mother. solely for their families to live mm -hmm. solely for to raise other people up and to and to basically dedicate themselves to their husbands to their children but they mm -hmm. had to look perfect doing it and they had to always smile and be positive. Um, 
So they lived solely for their children. So what? Do, so when we meet the other mother, where do we find her? She's introduced in the kitchen. Yep. She's dressed in that same fashion sense of that time period. 1950s. She's always smiling, always. And it's unnerving. And what's another big characteristic is that she has buttons for eyes. Everything in the other mother's world is like a toy box. It's mm -hmm. a child's... It's not only that point of society's perception of what a perfect home life should be, but it's kind of like the child's perception of what like a perfect kind of oh parent should be. Always attentive, mm -hmm. always understanding, never cranky, always looking nice. You know, because if we see whatever Colorine, you want. Yeah, exactly. If we see Colorine's mom, she's not wearing any makeup. She's disheveled. She's tired. And you know what I mean? But the other mother is always wearing high fashion. She's always she's always got red lipstick on. She's always putting her best right and the other mother takes advantage of Caroline's the fact that Caroline is a child she takes advantage she gives Caroline everything Caroline thinks that she wants okay. because Caroline doesn't know any better but Caroline isn't a dumb kid you know there's always going to be that dissonance between adults and children because of the age gap but they are never going but that does not mean that child is not intelligent. They just mm -hmm. lack the ex the time and experience we've had on this earth. So Caroline susses out that things are not always what they seem. Um, not only through, she doesn't do it entirely on her own. She has the aid of the cat and her neighbors and the contrast between them and the fake world. But the other mother tries to indoctrinate color color. Coraline, I'm acting. I'm, I'm acting like the film characters that can't get her name right. <laughs> um, she tries to indoctrinate Caroline into this this fake worldview, because in those times a mother didn't have agency. She had to live through her children, and through the people she cared for vicariously. So what that what happens is that that poisons the child because that makes the mother need to make that childhood last as long as possible because when the child no longer needs them if society convinced you that all you're good for is being a mother what do you have the right. purpose of a parent is to provide a child with the tools to be independent mm -hmm. but this contradicts the views that that version of motherhood is propagating you know what i mean so what does the other mother say when caroline is leaving i will die without you I can't live without you. This is representation of, you know what I mean? Without my children, what am I? I yeah. have put my entire purpose into this. My entire identity is surrounded by my children. If my children leave, what am I? And it becomes a self-befolding prophecy because if you hold on too tight and you begin with abusive tenderties towards your children because you, yeah. you've you are pushing those children away and now they can't wait to get away from you. So now you're left with your one purpose in life is not only leaving you, but now they resent you. Right. You know what I mean? And, and, and again, there's lots of other imagery, for example, like every time Coraline defies the other mother, more of that perfect image fades away. And mm -hmm. more, like every, like, for example, like the first time Coraline really stands up to the other mother and she's like, I'm going to count to three. She turns into a, she, the more and more she becomes the spider. 
the right. more of her true what she looks like on the inside is revealed the other mother is a predator feeding on the child she's trying to propagate these these visions of her reality onto Coraline Coraline is not a a a, a a child not like a daughter to the other mother mm -hmm. she is a doll she wants to turn carly into a doll play with her and then discard her like her other toys that she has right. which are the other ghost children which and, is yeah. so horrible it's so traumatizing that part of that that there are that there have been children before that are lost uh, absolutely and and the thing is that ch children children are sponges they 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 absorb everything you know and people don't understand that just like people forget how powerful actions are over oh absolutely absolutely because because you can tell your child not to do something mm -hmm. but if you could pr constantly participate in that behavior yourself your child is going to pick up on that right and a reason why a lot of people hold some of the prejudice they do in our world is because not because they were told to neglect or alienate certain groups of people. They have just observed that alienation as yeah. their culture Absolutely. and they just absorb it. So when that's put into question, people go into defense mode because that's just how it's always been. And people don't want to, you know, kind of do that. Exactly. They, they can't, they see something like um, more the gender norms of today and, yeah. and more sexuality of today. And they see these things happening and, oh my God, that can't be right. They that can... absolutely is horrible. And it absolutely is against God in the Bible. And I'm like, yeah, have exactly. you even read the Bible? No, <laughs> just somebody told you that at church one day and you yeah. forever. And it so, always stuck with you. Yes, and it's hard forever. to undo that because that's that's the, and, and, and here's the thing. And this is what I love about Coraline is because just talking about Coraline and what it means has branched us off into that into that conversation. Right. It made that conversation happen. And that's what good horror can do. Because mm -hmm. examining that, because mon monsters are metaphors. That's all monsters yeah. are. The other mother is the metaphor of toxic, being a toxic parent, of like, like over stereotypes of what a woman should be what a parent should be what a mother should be um it, you know what horror means to a child what the world is to a child and mm -hmm. how and generational trauma uh you know it it encapsulates so many things but it does it in a in a in a wonderful story that you can enjoy completely removed from subtext right. and that's those are the best stories but the thing is is that like horror forces us to confront those topics mm -hmm. and that's and that's and that's where I was and that's like the ultimate point I'm making with Coraline and the I thing agree. is this is a child's story yes this isn't they, even adult horror this is what I'm saying they need that they yeah. need that introduction as a child and no they're not gonna get it when they're little they're not gonna get it they but they're it gonna more and they pick it up more exactly and, more. and that's what I was saying by exposure of the culture just because you tell a child something Mm -hmm. they they learn more passively than they do through just exposing your child to like nuanced and good storytelling you're just gonna have a smarter more emotionally mature kid than right. you would if you're just gonna put them in front of the team play coco melon or something you know what i mean like it's it's hey. yeah exactly it's that <laughs> that's that the culture you cultivate 
is what your child is going to learn from more than anything you Mm -hmm. say. And that's why good storytelling and horror is important to introduce. Obviously, there are bound, like, you don't want to introduce misery, which I'd like to talk about next in a minute. Um, You don't want to introduce that to a kid because not only are they not going to get it at all, they're not going to enjoy it. It's going to turn them off to it because it's too much. But Coraline hits that perfect sweet spot Mm -hmm. where it's even scary to, like, adults. But it's nothing so visceral where a child can't, like, it just, it's not gory. They don't show death. They implied that here's a brilliant thing about Coraline is that it never specifically states what the other mother is going to do. Right. It's implied that does she eat them? Does she just keep them until they die? You know, it's less ambiguity, but the other mother is so brilliantly composed as a threat. She represents Mm -hmm. so many things that are inherently threatful to us that we don't need to know what she's going to do to Coraline. We just know, and the kids are going to know, it's not good, and that she needs to get away. And that's all you need to know. Ambiguity yeah. is perfect for child horror, and for adult horror, honestly. Bella has read Coraline, and also we've been watching it for, she's 14. We've oh, yeah, I watch it, I watch it every, every year. But Jack is five, so he is just now being introduced to Coraline. And the first time he watched it, he was terrified. Oh, my God, yeah. But then he's gotten to where he's like, oh, yeah, let's watch that. Or let's watch um, The Nightmare Before Christmas, which I oh, think yeah. is, you know, it's a little borderline. Oh, that's that's way more. It's yeah, it's way more chill. But Nightmare Before Christmas still it, it introduces <laughs> midlife crises, which is really. Uh, and it's a skeleton. So to yeah. children, that's scary. Yeah. But I think it introduces just- the gothic, um, the gothic, gothic style yes. to children. I love that, which I mean, I am a, a morbid macabre soul and I oh. always have. And Bella gets that. I know it's so funny when I'm at work because I have the um, little lost girl face <laughs> and I have the kind of high pitched voice and people are always like, what is wrong with her? When I start <laughs> talking, And I'm like, really, I don't know. I'd say fuck a lot. And I oh, love yeah. horror and creepy things. And they're like, what are you listening to when I have yeah. my books on? And- <laughs> oh, yeah. But I love that. I And Bella, I mean, she's blonde hair and blue eyed and just looks like a Barbie doll. And she's like, no, absolutely. Let's let's watch Coraline. Oh, yeah. She loves Stephen King. Oh, my God. Yeah. And you know, it's funny because I, I find this, but like the nicest people I've met love horror and scary things and slasher films. And they're just like the biggest teddy bears. And then I find people who are like so mean and cruel. It's like, oh, horror is disgusting. I'm like, well, that's the worst. Maybe we get all of our 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 crazy, all of our macabre, you know, soul stuff out into the things we read. And yeah, exactly. Well, that's another thing about entertainment is because like we 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 put ourselves on a pedestal, but in (laughs) you know reality speaking, we're animals. You know what I mean? And there is like a kind of kind of dark part of the animal brain that horror appeals to initially it's mm-hmm. not a bad thing you well, know what i mean that's just a part of human nature you know we get excited when we see certain images even if we don't want nothing to do with those images in real life like right. a thing with me is like i love horror i despise real world violence like i can't really listen to and it's perfectly okay if like people listen to like you know true crime podcasts and stuff like yeah. that 
that's perfectly fine. You know, uh, there are some very interesting stories and examinations to be made from that. I just don't like it as much because the thing is, yeah. it's like, it's real. It's real. And I, and, and fictional horror helps me cope with mm -hmm. real life horror. But the thing is, is like, I think people who go around with like shirts of like fucking Jeffrey Dahmer on it, I think that's kind of gross personally. And disrespectful. And disrespectful. But if yes. you have, but like, Michael Myers and ghosts like oh. that's they didn't murder real people they didn't they're not they real they're characters that are part of a cool genre right real life there's a and and I think a lot of people who are like very anti-horror cannot differentiate here which yeah. is a, which is a they treat fictional characters as if they are real and not vessels to send out some vessels to either send out a certain emotion or a certain message, you know what I mean? Right. Um, even films that aren't, like, sending out messages, like slasher films, you know, like, Friday the 13th isn't really trying to say anything. It's just trying no. to be visceral and make you laugh because it's slapstick gore, you know what right. I mean? But it's still trying to invoke a feeling, you know what mm -hmm. I mean? Whereas something like Misery tries to invoke a, a deep-seated message about humanity, Okay, so this is one of the Stephen King books I haven't read. So you're going to have to tell me about it before we start. Oh. Talking. Don't give what? me spoilers because I do want to read it. Okay. But okay. Tell me the premise. Okay, so I'll kind of give you like the the basic rundown that's not too spoiler. I think most people know this just because they made a film about it. Yeah. Um. So the story follows a middle-aged writer named Paul Sheldon. And he's actually, the story place, takes place here in Colorado. Oh, cool. Um, so basically he gets, he just finished his newest book. Um, and he, he's known primarily for his misery series. Misery is the name of a, of name of a female character. And she's the lead of these book series. And okay. it kind of takes place in that pride and prejudice, uh, time phrase, like the kind of Victorian time phrase, not, not, not Love like, it. like the story that the, the author in the book is writing, not the actual right, story right, right, yes. itself. I got you. Basically it's kind of like, a murder mystery kind of romance thing and she like she like travels with high royalty and she has like these two lover interests a love triangle thing kind of like your classic setup okay. um basically he's so tired of writing about her because it's all that his fans expect from him is misery so he kills her in in the newest book that just comes out right in the newest right. book so he crashes in the snowstorm and he gets picked up by a a character named annie wilkes and she is she's a former nurse and she is obsessed with the misery series and she's almost done reading his newest book but instead of taking him to a hospital his leg is completely mangled she keeps him in his she keeps him in her her her, her in her house in in her guest room and um Things do not go well for Paul when she finds out uh, her favorite writer has killed her favorite oh, fictional no! character. And we've come to find things out about Annie Wilkes and about, uh, but I honestly, feel like Stephen King was, I don't know when Misery was written, but I feel like he had some, he's putting out some vibes from the- Oh yeah. Well, this is some, the here's the thing. Tower. I had this whole thing, like, I was going to talk about it, but, like, um, I'll, this is not too much of a spoiler. Okay. Um, but Misery, at least from Stephen King, like, this, the, the character of Annie Wilkes, um, 
is a metaphor for um cocaine actually and Okay. steven's problem with it and I didn't know he had one. yeah well okay so back when he wrote some of his earlier works like Mm it he was fueled by coke like 100 percent, -hmm. I can see he struggled that. with it you know what i mean That and is it. misery and obviously he's been off of it for way, way long time you know what i mean but Right. it was just it was just kind of like a product of the time and annie wilkes is kind of a symbolization of that drug but she also represents so many different things that i can't really get into without spoiling the book for you so 100 percent, that's one of his best books i would read that definitely um and then next time we do adding a horror episode let's talk about it we yeah should so do adding a whole episode on misery actually um because i would gladly reread that book for that but um that is that book your favorite stephen king here's the thing picking a Steve favorite stephen i know king book for me is like asking me to uh, like pick a favorite child like it, it, it like you can't yes really do it <laughs> um i think i actually have one the you green have a mile green mile oh that's good you're it's you're so good it's so it's good but it's up there definitely well because With the main character being a writer, I think it kind of hits a little closer to, yeah to you yeah to me and like creative types. But the thing is about Misery, I think more than like any other of his books is that this book and the character of Annie Wilkes and the relationship she has with Paul Sheldon is can be you can insert your it the whole story is kind of a metaphor for trauma. and toxic relationships whether that relationships be a family member Right. a lover uh an addiction you have you know it it works really well for like you know annie wilkes as a metaphor for cocaine but that's only what it means to stephen king because the story is so well written that annie wilkes can be can be you juxtapose your greatest trauma here and your biggest abusive relationship here and it
really can be used like we are placed directly into Paul's shoes and really any trauma where your life is dependent on another thing or another person Mm -hmm. where they hold power over you you need to have real kind of experienced that for yourself to understand the the depth of what misery means to not only Stephen King but to people who have suffered through trauma and that's what separates from Coraline Coraline hasn't really had any real like tangible trauma i mean not until the other mother obviously but her right. other mother is an introduction to the horrors of the world whereas misery is a story where you're already introduced to the horrors of the world let's explore it a little deeper and this certain right. facet of the horrors of the world and one of the most common horrors that the most people experience is trauma and the reliance of people who do not have your best interests at heart people right. who have written your script for you and will give you love and affection only if you follow that script and if you deviate from it you that's the problem and that's and that's the two similarities between Annie Wilkes and and the other mother as monsters because this is Coraline's introduction to having a toxic parent she doesn't actually have toxic parents and she learns that through the story right she just has tired parents she has tired parents and to a child she they can't tell the difference this is Coraline growing up essentially and kind of learning the difference and being and she doesn't learn it because her parents sit down and talk to her about which I'm sure they have in the past you know but you know just explaining something to her isn't going to make them get it this is Coraline learns from the experience right and that and but what connects Annie Wilkes and the other mother is that they're both people of power who want to control just how Cor- how the other mom wants to control Coraline. Mm-hmm. Annie Wilkes wants to control Paul Sheldon. The pro- the difference that makes this child horror and adult horror is that Annie Wilkes is a very real monster. Whereas the other mother is a more of a metaphor for a wider right. spectrum. More Annie Wilkes can exist. The other right. mother exists through. Uh, the other mother exists in what she represents, but the other mother herself as a monster cannot exist. Annie Wilkes absolutely can and does. And does. Yeah. You know, it's funny that you that you bring up the correlation of children and um, adult trauma or adult monsters, because it is such a good um model for both yeah it absolutely the children and the it adults. starts out as kind of, yeah from a child's perspective and then they yeah that, that and it, it is so scary but i think i think it follows he straddles the line of what could be out there and real and what isn't exactly yeah because he's there are people that eat people jeffrey dahmer Oh and yeah, we we talked about one for a yeah. moment there, and there are killer clowns. Uh, right, so it's yeah. such a big. It's I, it is one of my favorites. Um, I think I did read that one a little too early because uh, I think my mom forgot about the one the one orgy scene. Yeah, uh, and uh, again, that, Stephen, uh, the, that was yeah. one of the books he was. Yes. Still um, brilliant. It's still brilliant, oh, but maybe leave that book. out. <laughs> just, just leave the children orgy out. Let's yeah, yeah. Everything else. Chef's kiss, you know. They can have an orgy when they're adults. Yeah, exactly. They're prerogative. 
<laughs> but I I really like The Shining as well. You know, he hates the movie with Jack Nicholson. Oh, yeah. Well, I think here's the thing. I will always love and respect Kubrick's vision for that because it is terrifying. Oh, absolutely. But it removes Jack's humanity entirely, which was the main point of the book, I think, because Jack was actually a really was actually like a a real human dad who right. was trying to do things. And here's the thing. I'm going to admit this on this podcast. I have not actually finished the the Shining book. Yeah, it's very good. You know what I mean? Because, you know, it's one of the weird things is that like, one of the best Stephen King movies, like base movies, is The Shining, but mm-hmm. it's also so far from the book, which is kind of funny. It um, is. That makes it a struggle, especially when you've seen the movie first. Because if you've read yeah, the book, it's first, it's. I'm sure it's like going to be like black and white. When I've yeah. read, I've read some of it. Don't get me wrong. I I picked it up in high school, and I just mm-hmm. it was during finals, and I just couldn't finish it, and I never picked it back up, which I which I wanted to. Good. Yeah, it's pretty, oh my god, yeah, especially since I had, also, like, read it, like, right before The Shining, and that book is, like, the size of my head, you know what right. I mean? Um, So and I'm like, I was a little, and then before that, I had read Christine, which is probably another one of my favorite books that I think kind of gets overlooked in the Stephen King catalog, I really love I Christine. haven't read that one. It's about the, I actually named my first car after Christine, rest in peace, she got totaled, Um, <laughs> but uh, it's, it's, it's a very interesting story and it's it's I want to like and it would be a crime to say it's about a killer car. I mean, it is like that is a part of the plot is that the car mm-hmm. is alive in its sense. But that's more of like a consequence of what the story is actually about. So I won't spoil that for you. I would definitely I recommend wonder- Misery first. But Christine is definitely something to check out. Do you watch Supernatural? Okay, so I watched... about a killer car. Yeah, well, no, Christine's been influenced a lot. Um, R.L. Okay. Stein wrote a book about a haunted car. Um, that was directly inspired by Christine. It was featured in Ash versus the Evil Dead. There's been a ton of stuff that's been inspired by Christine. Yeah, that's um, super interesting. Yeah, and here's the thing: horror, really good horror, inspires other horror. That like you won't you won't even know like are you familiar with like Among Us, like that popular internet game that's been game? going around? Yes, yes. Um, that game is really like a game adaptation of John Carpenter's The Thing. Um, but so many people know what Among Us is and not mm-hmm. so much what John Carpenter's The Thing is. While John Carpenter's The Thing is arguably one of the best horror movies ever made. Period. Really? Yeah. Um, it's really if you haven't seen it, I haven't. Definitely go watch it. Um, it has some of like the best <gasps> kitty has some one of the best practical effects in horror. Like it, they're still regard today. In fact, if you've seen like, I guarantee you, if you watch this movie, you're gonna hear some quotes you've heard in other horror movies that you never knew was from. It was from that. This from this movie. Oh yeah, and it almost ruined John Carpenter's career. Because when it came out, like, he got fired from several projects ever making it. Because when it came out, it was so visceral and no one got it that they just called it gory schlock and they completely wrote it off. And then, like, John Carpenter have been, been on record saying, like, dude, give me five minutes alone in a room with those critics. Because they, because this was, this was back in a time where, like, the goodness of a story and whether or not people really went to go see it or not was solely mm-hmm. on critic reviews. 
which we oh, know yeah. nowadays is terrible because crit a lot of critics suck and they yeah. and they're biased and they have their own agendas when reviewing films. Of course. Um, but they tore this movie apart. And John Carpenter's The Thing, it, it I don't again, like I don't want to spoil it by talking yeah. about it too much, but it is it it really shows you how fat it, it kind of it reminds me of a Stephen King story, um, The Mist. Where it shows mm-hmm. you how fast what we consider society completely falls apart. How fast oh, trust falls apart. How fast our morals fall apart when introduced to a horror so incomprehensible. Like that, Under the Dome. Uh, exactly. You know what? I haven't read the book, which, but I've I heard haven't either because it's a hundred million pages. But yeah, like that. And Stephen King is really good with that genre. He really is. He's the king. Let's just. Oh, he's the king. He's the king. Oh my god, I read Tommy Knockers recently, and it's so good, and it's so different than how other people approach sci-fi, and, uh, you know, it's, it just, it's, every story of his feels, you know, it's, it's, it's the thing where you know it's Stephen King by reading it, but it, they're all so different, and they tackle so many different things, and I love that. Have you read Wayward Pines? I have not. Okay, so I was so shocked when I picked it, because I like, it was something I just picked up at like a thrift store. I didn't even look at who wrote it and I started reading it. It reminded me so, so much of a Stephen King book that I was shocked he didn't write it. Yeah. It's incredible, but it's vastly different from the TV show that had, um, I think, Matt Dillon in it. Yeah. I know Under the Dome got a show. I don't know if it was any good. I think it I saw the not. first episode when I was younger. Was it bad? It was bad. It, it had was a- bad. It's usually, it's usually how it goes, right? It had a female actress in it that I really, really enjoy. I can't think of her name because she's she's been in so many like low level things, but I yeah. I think it's amazing. Um, but it, it was not. It, it was, was not good. It was not it's a good. shame though, because like I was talking about the thing earlier, but like they made like a 2011 version that was just really bad. It was like horrible CGI. Um, but they had like a Mary Elizabeth Winston in it, which I think she's a fantastic actress, and when she actually get, is given scripts that are you can actually work with she's right. fantastic it's just a shame that she's not given too many amazing like things, scripts to work with but right, she's a fantastic actress and she's completely overrated i'm looking her up now she started she out as like so a, cute oh yeah she started oh, oh i had a crush on her when she's i was a kid she's married to ewan mcgregor she started out as um oh, I, think, I think i remember was. her first from like sky high like she started out as like one of those uh of like Disney Channel, yeah. I didn't, she's you and McGregor. Yeah, I didn't know that actually. Um, yeah. but she's she's a fantastic actress. Uh, she's been in she's she's been in some some really good. She's been in some good horror. Um, it's just yeah. that she's not given too much to work with nowadays, which is a shame. But it is, you know, women. Yeah, yeah. Well, there you go. Mm. You know what I mean? We're not allowed to be horror. We're not allowed to like. No, nah, be that. No, oh, yeah, no. It's there's there's this image that people get in their head and and here's the thing like as much as they're funny enough, this is like something that i explore in the book i'm writing right now yeah um but like people it becomes it's a struggle because as someone who wants the best reality for everyone as much as possible mm-hmm. i i I drive the line between being very resentful and angry 
towards people who hold these perceptions. But then I'm also torn because I understand that they are the byproduct of the culture that they were born in. Yes. And not everyone is born with the capacity to break free from that on their own. You know yeah. what I mean? That's a good way to put that because I was born into that society. I was born into that Bible belt. You have to go to church and you have to be a good little girl and have to say yes, ma'am and no, ma'am. And I was, I was born pretty to cuss. I was born into a very similar, like I wasn't born in the Bible belt, but you know, my, I had a mother who was very incredibly religious. I had a, you know, emotionally abusive father. And I, you know, I was taught that anything of the sexual, like, sexual nature bad this is bad this is bad you can't do this you gotta Um, be a real man i know oh even 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 now like when my when my mother sees like two gay men kiss like my she saw like two gay people kissing like during the ball drop she had a physical disgusted reaction (laughs) like like literally it it was was kind of funny actually but like but it's also it's also horrible because like but i and i and a part of me wants to be really mad about that and I and part of me really is because I'm constantly torn between extreme like kind of anger towards that and resentment because you're hurting people I care about or you're just hurting people in general for no reason and then there's the other side of me that's like it's not in it's it's not entirely their fault. I am of the belief that you should always be held accountable for your actions. I don't use my trauma as an excuse to hurt people, even though I I have hurt people as an effect of it. You know, when I was right. young and angry, I lashed out at people, but I recognize that I made those choices. Nobody made me make them. Right. But there has to be a sense of there's like a sense of empathy because one of the reasons, like I used to get in a lot of fights as a kid, but it's because I wanted attention because my home life was so crazy and there was fights going on all the time. And that's why I said like the culture, if I constantly see my parents fighting and bickering and throwing shit and cursing and threatening each other, that's what you're going to do. I, I take that to school Mm -hmm. and I don't get attention. I didn't get attention there, at least not positive attention. All I know. And so I, I just wanted attention, even if it was negative. And again, I don't recognize I was doing that as a child. Like when I go to school, I'm like, I want attention. Let me throw a fit. You know what I mean? Because you're a child. I, I don't get that. And it's something I like, you know, I was talking about with Caroline. You know, you don't get that. Right. But like, um, but I understand that there's cause and causation. I still take accountability for what I did. You know, and I still, I still don't always control myself or conduct myself the way I would want to as an adult. Because again- human we're human you know what i mean but the difference between that between the difference between me and a bad person is that i will always hold myself accountable even if it's after the fact like you know what i mean i will it hurts you to do it and it hurts me it hurts me it hurts me you know it hurts me to do it and i and i get that guilt you know what i mean and and i learn from it and i conduct myself better in the future and I've, I'm, I'm glad that, and I think a part of the reason I was able to break free, I recently cut ties with my father. I was actually at the beginning of the new year. Um, 
I had been very distant from him. Um, we've had a very distant relationship, but recently after uh, a particularly bad spell, I just, uh, you know, I laid it out for him. But, uh, you know, he was a victim of generational trauma. I understand why he is the way he is. And I always hope that he can grow from that. But mm -hmm. I can't do that for him. You know what you I mean? You have to protect your peace. You I always have to, yeah. have to protect your own. You have peace. to. You have to keep yourself in mind. Love this. I know. Babe is so cute. I love him. I so love much. him. He's my friend. He sleeps with me every night. He's my. I'm he's so jealous. I, I was a lot. My, my husband was like, "You can't have a cat." I my dog died this week, so I'm oh, like, "Yeah." I'm Alicia mentioned that to me. I'm so sorry, by the way. Thank you. I'm like, I'm I'm looking at puppies. I don't know. I know. I don't need. I think we both now. needed this right now. I think. Yeah, I think we did. Yeah. We've had a, it's been a rough start to the new year, but, but um, and 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 I, I wasn't. I think it's long. Yeah, and here's the thing. Like, I didn't. When I cut him off, I sent him a very long, I had to say everything I needed to say. So I sent him a very long yes. message. And, and in that message, I even said, like, I do not blame you. I said, I, I almost became, your trauma became my trauma. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? But I do not blame you for my actions and the people I've hurt. I hold myself accountable for that. But I cannot be around you because you will never learn or grow as long as I am here to forgive you right and you do miss me but he does not miss me as a person he misses the support and the constant or validation the that I offered to him right the idea of what he wants you to be yeah at the expense of myself and and not and and I think that's another reason why Coraline is an important story for me because mm -hmm. the other mother wanted Caroline to be this and when she didn't want to be that and when she tried to get away she was met with you know a, a monster and yeah. uh, and as and as horrible as it is to say you know what I mean that's exactly what my exit my dad didn't turn into a giant spider right. but he 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 we had to call the police because he, when I came to move here with Alicia, he yeah. threatened to kidnap me <laughs> to take yeah. me back home. You know what I mean? And he lashed out and I have. You are a grown man. Yeah. Of, of, you know, of, of threats and insults and belittling yeah. stuff. But every, every, I mean, monster has such a connotation to people that don't read horror as something that's not tangible, something that's not real, but everybody is fighting their own monsters Everyone in has real a monster. every yeah. single day. No yeah, matter it doesn't matter if they look like a spider. Yeah. That's just again, monsters in horror are metaphors for real life right. entities. You know what I mean? Okay. Being the reason the other mother looks like a spider is because her whole world, her household, the house you are trapped in is her web. Yes. If you behave the way she wants you to, which is a way that will hurt you and lead and eventually lead to your demise. She'll mm -hmm. she'll be nice to you. Yeah, she'll keep the peace. She'll be nice, but you're always walking on eggshells, and you're and you're going to die. You know what I mean? And even if it's not a physical death, it's a death of the soul, which is why the right. souls are still trapped under her control. Right. They want what's best for you, but only they want what's best for the that of they want the best version of you that's mm -hmm. under their control. Right. Like they want they they want what's best for you, but what they 
think is best for you and what's really best because what they think is best for you is what's best for themselves. And that's the horror of Coraline. You know what I mean? And And that's so the horror of Annie what? Wilkes. it's this it's the horror of so many things and I, and I feel like horror does get such a bad rap because it oh, it, it is it's scary and it and it is it makes what, people uncomfortable absolutely I think you know you you mentioned that it's it is a metaphor and I think that unless you are a person who is able to read something and understand that it's a metaphor like English has always been my favorite class I'm gonna just assume it's always been yours straight A's English you know right I mean, math sucked at math math straight sucked B's math. okay <laughs> but uh it's something that when you just when you're reading something and you see that metaphor and it clicks in your brain it's just it makes you feel and I can't say what it makes you feel because it makes you feel so many different things Yeah, that you exactly. understand where they're coming from as a writer. Um, before we do have to finish this, I do want to talk about your book though. I want to, I want to, I want to have some like little chatty chats. Oh, I wanna, absolutely. I want to have a little snippet. I want to have like how, how, how much you have finished, what you're planning. Got you. So it's still in the early, uh, earlier stages right now. Um, I, uh, thing is I had the book I was writing before this I kind of took the wrong approach to because I got over ambitious and because I was working on that one for like two years and the problem was is that it was like the first part of like an eight book series and mm -hmm. I have to and when you're writing a narrative like that you have to consider like all seven sequels when writing the first one yes. so it came to the part where I was overwhelmed and it's like when it's your like first big novel it's not probably the right approach to do that. It's so, so overwhelming. It's so much hard. So I put that aside for now. I <laughs> so still have plans to explore that in the future. So I started a new project. It still takes place in the same world, though. And all my books take place in the same universe. Um, okay, so it's not our universe. It's not. Well, it, it, it's it like it, it in its own book universe basically okay. like it still takes place on earth but it's it's it still has it has magical and fantastic elements like Coraline yes. you know what I mean um so basically the story I'm writing right now is called Lynette of the Night um which I love that title that's like love the proudest it. thing ever yes it just rolls off the tongue really well it does um so the story follows basically there is this a there's a small port town um it's called Light Point, Light Point Ports. And um, it follows the story of a young woman named Lynette. Now, the thing is with uh, Lynette is that she is she is a trans woman in a very small town. Um, yeah. It's kind of like, it's not like a super small town, but it's small enough where people kind of, everyone kind of generally knows each other, you know, mm -hmm. kind of thing. And... Basically, essentially what happens is just outside of town in the woods, there's this place called the old Selick place. And that's actually a reference to Coraline because, uh, you know, he was the director that does a lot of the claymation stuff. I oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, this is it's just old, creepy kind of manor out in the out far in the woods. Um, it's so decrepit that like a tree has grown from the living room up through the other stories of the house and like burst through the ceiling i love that um and the thing is there's been someone who's been living in there all this time like they own the property entirely because it's kind of separate from the town but they haven't done any upkeep they have just been living in the house as is and they've been like even using the tree to like go upstairs so they'll just like climb okay. up the tree and get to love another it. story of the house 
And it's this weird, like, eccentric doll maker and collector. No one knows who she was or anything about her, but she just vanishes one day entirely. So they start, you know, they, and since she was the only one who, she has no family, she was the sole owner of the property, there isn't anyone to give the house to. The house and all her possessions in the house are being, like, hauled out and, like, sold for auction. Anyway, the story begins with um, a group of, I want to kind of say like mercenaries, but there's a group of, of, of thieves that are hired to go into this house. Um, one of them had been on staff with the moving crew, so they know where like the key is and everything mm -hmm. is. Um, they go in the dead of the night um, during a storm. Because dark and stormy night, you got that's actually what the first chapter is called—a classic dark and stormy night. Because I like to I be love it. You like that, um, but they go in and they're looking for two, two items that a third party has hired them to steal from okay. this person's collection. Now that that person is no longer there, and as a byproduct, they end up on. And I, I'm, not, I don't want to spoil anything. But yeah, yeah, no. They end up releasing a supernatural force onto the town. that um ends up tri triggering old supernatural forces that were spread out all across and Okay. the the kind of does and that's where kind of like the horror it's kind of like a horror comedy adventure thing um so they release these supernatural entities onto the town and it becomes up to Lynette and her two friends that she ends up making along the way uh to form the kind of trio to find out why this is happening how to stop it and to come to terms with their own problems because each member of the trio is dealing with something uh, deeply personal. And I think I can talk a little bit about this without spoiling too much of the book, but um, basically Lynette, um, Lynette, Pro, and Allie, those are just kind of their names right now. Pro is a nickname. Um, it's it's a mean nickname. It doesn't sound like one, but he he's very clumsy and he's always messing up. So people Yeah. call him like, hey, Pro, you know what I mean? So, Oh, no. so they call him Pro. Uh, they call him Pro as like a sarcastic term. Yeah. Um, but An asshole term. yeah, an asshole. Yeah. So the thing is, is though, um, they're each dealing with something, but it's not something. <laughs> that is visible it's not a physical wound mm hmm um like i'll just say like pro has depression um lynette is struggling with um her transism and being in a small town and being feeling so alienated and ali um struggles with something that i don't know any physical like any fictional character who's been explored through this but intrusive thoughts um Oh, I love that. Um, cause here's the thing on something that, cause intrusive thoughts was something that I, is something that I struggle with, Same. um, from t not all the time, but sometimes in intervals where I'll see something or I'll get a random thought and it'll, and I'll, and I'll give it so much power by hating the thought so much that it constantly repeats itself. Yes. And the thing is, is that like something that makes that worse is when Something I like to do and why fiction is so important to me is that when I'm trying to be a better person, I'm trying to cope through something, I find a character who's going through that And latch. and 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 latch and see, okay, like, what would this do? The problem Yes. is that there aren't any characters that I know You're right. that struggle with intrusive thoughts. So I wanted to make one for people who struggle Yes. with this because it's a condition that a lot of people suffer from. 
that it's just never talked about. And it's so hard to talk about because then you have to talk about the thoughts you're having, but you don't want to do that because they sound People awful. are like, oh my God, what is wrong with you? Yeah. The Absolutely. thoughts aren't reflective of you as a person, but you, you, it's just so bad. You don't want to talk about it. And that's, Right. Like and I wouldn't yeah, actually drive into oncoming traffic. I yeah, wouldn't exactly, actually do that. exactly. But my brain is like, what if though? What What if, if, what if I did that? Though? You know what I mean? what if I did that? I And would it's, never do that. and it's a, But and it's a horrible, what if? and it's a, and it's a very struggle thing. It can make it very hard, especially if you give it so much power. Oh And yeah. I wanted to make, and here's the thing, like I wanted to make a character who has this condition, but is just so likable. who is Yeah. just such an amazing person, but they struggle with this behind the scenes. And I wanted to reflect that that problem they have does not define who they are personality wise. And they have their struggles and they have their low points. But so what do we, what's the common thread here? So pro has this deep depression that he doesn't feel he can talk about because he actually has really nice parents and they don't know he's depressed. They think everyone calling him pro is a nice nickname. Like he hasn't explained to them that it's, you know, He's like, well, I know people who who have this trauma, who have that trauma, who have abusive parents. I don't have a right to be depressed. Yep. You know what I mean? And he and he's I'm not also, too weak. yeah, and he's also African American, and he and he's and he's had some, you know, and he has feelings of inadequacy because of you know some of the ways he's been treated because of his race, and 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 then you have Ali, who's generally well liked, but is dealing with something no one recognizes, and then you have, and so how does So how does Lynette's like being transgender kind of fit into this? Well, it's I wanted to point out something that happens a lot with trans people or people who are just and not just trans people, but people who just who use different pronouns or just aren't, you know, entirely even like, you know, gender, gender fluid or non-binary is that their condition is treated like a condition. It's not a condition. It's just your sexuality. It's just how you express yourself. But It's her your being who trans you are. is treated like depression or intrusive thoughts. It is treated like a mental illness, and it is not. But the fact everyone treats it like it makes that person view it as one. It makes them It makes constantly them feel feel like like something's there is wrong a mental with them. fallacy when Right. the mental fallacy is with, Everybody else. with, with everyone else. And so she is paired with them. For this reason, you know what I mean? And all of them are struggling with something that because uh, people have an obsession with the physical. Yes. Like what like with Coraline, like back in the day, mothers, they had to look well, they had to do this, they had to do it. If you are not physically hurting in a way that they they per like they can perceive with their eyes, most people are going to write it off. You know what I mean? They Depression think you should is be fine. depression. We've made a lot more strides with recognizing depression, I will say, but there is it's just If you are not, it, it's just basically the main theme of the book. And like, I use a lot of like physical symbolism. I don't want to like tell you all the main things because Yeah, of the thing course. is, is like you, I want you to take from it what you take from it. Right. But I will say that like ignorance to, to what other people are going through, just because you can't see inside someone else's head, doesn't mean they are not struggling. And a lot of the times mental stuff Because a lot of physical stuff is temporary. Right. The mental stuff can't, you can't take medicine. You, you, I mean, you can't take medicine to regulate it, obviously, But it but doesn't make it go away. there isn't a cure for that stuff. And, and, and the main, a big importance of Lynette being, a, being trans is because 
she does not need to be cured. You know what I mean? She's she's being perceived. Here's the thing, because with Pro and Allie, they're suffering from really me real mental disorders that Right. can that can be treated in some way or another and should be recognized and aided. Lynette is not so, but they're being completely ignored uh, outside of like the abuse that Pro is, which kind of correlates and causes his depression. Right. But Lynette's abuse comes from everyone seeing. her as mentally ill out of like if, if you if if you were to put the trio together she's the only one that isn't mentally ill and I'm, I'm sure she has like some form of minor depression but Right, of course. she's very Anxiety. she's she's actually a very cheerful hopeful person she's just Right. being constantly dragged down by people perceiving her as ill when By she society. is not Right. By society's view of her. Because, yes, there's... A, we can say every day, all day long, that society's mentality of us is not going to determine how we feel about ourselves. But But it does. it... It wears on us. It wears It does. on us. And There's only so, there's so much, there's only so much optimism you can put there's up as only a shield. so much. I mean, and I've had generalized anxiety disorder for years and I just started talking about it. I've been medicated for years Because you and feel I, like you can't, you can't. If 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 you like, it's a weakness. right. Well, I've been told it was a weakness Exactly. by people that were important to me. So that, Yeah. that makes you feel like Other people had trauma and they were able to deal with it without medication or without whatever. So you must be weak because you can't deal with it. You want? Do you want to see her? Actually, I kind of, Yeah. I have, I had some art commission. I, I'm working Yes. with this artist, a close friend of mine. Um, um, it's only going to be on my phone. Oh, you can't really see it. I I can can see. see the outfit though. The outfit is badass. Oh yeah, so she's actually like, uh, she's a uh, hype. She's actually uh, an energetic goth. Green hair. Yeah, she has green I hair. love She's. it. I'll 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 have a I'll have Alicia send it to you, Okay. but the art, but. No, I love her. She's adorable. And and here's the thing. She's so nice and she's so adorable. She's so high energy, Yeah. but she just, she just gets so much shit Yeah. just because of what she identifies as. And I'm like, Who gives a shit? and it doesn't matter how A lot of good them. of a person you are. Right. It's just, that's how people will see you through assumption. It's like, it's like people like Ted Bundy got less shit. And he Yeah, was just like, right. It's because he was good looking. That's, that's, that's actually, that's he was actually, a good looking white man. yeah, you know, that's actually really, because that's actually another thing that I explored in psychology class, which I, I realize we're running out of time, so I won't, I won't get into it, but It is. it's, It's it's people, if you're good looking, people will forgive you way more. Like for it's, anything. it's kind of crazy for anything. If you're, if you are a good looking, like white man or a good, and it's, and actually it's, it's for like pretty much any good look. looking people in general but like especially if you're like a if you're like a good-looking white man or woman then you're probably gonna get Oh, absolutely. Especially you're gonna get the benefit of a doubt you know <laughs> yes, yeah, absolutely. but Especially why if did he do it maybe he's misunderstood I'm like he 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 shoved a hammer up her <laughs> what the fuck are you Right. talking I can about fix him. I can I fix can it fix him. You don't need to worry about it. The power that women delude themselves with. It's crazy. Yeah, It no, is. you're so right. <laughs> But all right. We're going to wrap it up. all right. Uh, do this again. For sure. I'm going to read Misery because this Absolutely. is so much. We should I we need to talk about that one. Absolutely. You do you typically read outside of the horror genre? Would you want to I read? do. Um so I have uh, right now I'm actually rereading the Percy Jackson books. Um Oh, because I thought about that I the other 
Oh, the series. Yeah, the series. And I grew up with I grew up with them. Like Me I really too. related to Percy, like, you know, the Yeah. ADHD and the being in like six. He said I was in six schools in six years. I'm like, me too. I was constantly moved too, you know, and and then, you know, with, with having like kind of a feeling, feeling, feeling like you're at fault for everything, you know what I mean? And having that kind of anger you carry, because that's another thing with Percy. So he's not perfect, which I really, I really love the way that they express his character. Yeah. But Me too. um, horror is my main genre. Yes. But I do, I do read, uh, I do dabble in fantasy and romance and other thing. I have read, it was on complete on accident, but I have read this one monster smut book. Uh, Oh, Alicia it's got called you friends back. with the monsters or something. And I'm like, And you would have never told, you would have never been able to tell by like the description, but it was like a girl who can see monsters all her life finds out there's like a conspiracy. And I'm like, oh, okay, let me, let Cool. me, and then it's like, it's like a, like a collect a monster boyfriend kind of story. <laughs> so Ah, she has nice. like four different monster boyfriends. It's pretty fun. It was fun. It was a fun read, but Alicia has her tentacle porn. I mean, Alicia loves monster smut like so much. probably does. She She. had me read the pumpkin one. Which was Oh, I haven't heard of that one. That did you did she tell you they just read one about a fucking door? no. What? Oh yeah, it was seventy pages, and the door was talking about his hole and how yeah how he um had wood and <laughs> The he one had that she showed me on Halloween was a guy with a pumpkin head, and like his stuff tasted like candy corn. That would be much better than what it actually tastes like. Yeah, right. <laughs> Stop. That's so funny. Stop. Amen. Honestly. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, All thank right. you so much for coming and joining us. And Thank you. I'm glad I got to talk to you and to the podcast uh... oh no, and everyone. You guys let you me have know to. when this pops up. I'll listen to it. You have to join us for the Percy Jackson. We're going to talk about the series. So you have to join us for that episode. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm obsessed with it. Oh, It's I so love much oh, better I love than it. the movie. The movie was trash. Oh, no, we don't talk about those. Those are No, awful. Even they more. didn't exist. They don't they didn't happen. What do you mean? There's only So, the books in the show. right. Thanks for listening, guys. And Yeah, uh, thank you can you. find it on any, any podcast platform and on uh, Instagram at the Territorial Fate Podcast. Um, Amanda is at Quinn of the Rereads and Alicia is at Lady Perfectionist. Rob, do you, do you have one that you like for your writing? I'm I'm make I'm in the process of making like Okay. an official separate like Okay. stuff for for my writing persona but I I just want I'm focusing a little more on the book right now but yeah I will have one eventually so maybe next time I'm on the podcast Okay, cool. maybe when we when we talk about my book if I if I ever finish Yes, it <laughs> you will. You'll finish it. You'll get there. thank All right. you Until next time, happy listening.